together to focus on where Jesus is leading. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now, let's read together. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the system of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. We're thrilled to have you in the room. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally yet, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're really glad that you're here in the room and online. And in fact, if you're online, would you do us a huge favor? Uh, number one, thanks for your patience. We had some audio issues at the beginning of today's service, but hopefully those are all squared away and fixed. But uh, if you're watching online, would you type in the chat, especially on Facebook, your name and the name of your family members maybe that are watching? We would love to go back and pray over you by name this week. And so if you put your name in the chat, that helps us to know that you're watching and we're able to do that. And if you are in the room and you have uh, access right now on phone to the internet, would you grab the link from our website, faithchurchcast.org? Text it to a friend and tell them to tune in or share it on social media. And that way you can be a part of digital evangelism with us this morning in a new way and hopefully get the word into the hearts of those who are ready to receive it. Well, if you have a, a copy of scripture, join me in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and James chapter 4. Deuteronomy 5 is Old, Old Testament James 4 in the New Testament, and if you're like, I got no idea where any of those things are, I got good news for you, it's all right. We're going to have them on the screen for you to read uh, and follow along, or you can grab your phone and go to faithchurchks.org. There's a spot that says Sermon Notes, and you can follow right along right there from your own seat as well. We are wrapping up a collection of sermons that we've entitled The Practice of Hospitality, where we've been learning what does it look like to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, uh, And God gave these 10 commandments in the Old Testament as kind of rules for a long, long camping road trip at the start of a new civilization, a new people, trying to give them rules and guidelines and boundaries to help them discover what does it look like to have healthy relationships. It's not so much about a list of things that you can't do, nearly as much as it is a list of things that if you do them, you'll find yourself having healthy relationships. And I think we all would agree having healthy relationships makes our life just so much better because when there is strain in a relationship, oh, everyone feels it. As the people of God, we want to live in a way that honors others and serves others and we can show hospitality to the people around us because there's something of a deep love of God that we've received and a demonstration of that love to the people around us. 
Deuteronomy chapter 5, the last, the, the tenth of all of these says this, verse 21, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This word covet is kind of an interesting word. We don't really use it in our day-to-day uh, life. In fact, I was trying to think back to the last time in normal conversation I heard the word covet. I don't know that I have maybe ever heard it in a normal, everyday conversation. This word covet has kind of um, two sides to it. There's a, a positive side to this word covet, but there's also like a shadow negative, not healthy side to this word covet as well. On the, on the positive side, this word covet just simply means to desire or take pleasure in, right? So when you covet the things of God, that's a good thing, to desire, to have a strong uh, pleasure in, even walking in the ways of God. That, that's a good thing to do. But there is a flip side to where coveting gets into dangerous territory. And so in a, in a bad sense, it's an inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire where you take pleasure in things that are of an idolatrous tendency. It, it can be this strong pull and desire to go in a direction that leads you to whether or not you would be able to acknowledge it or identify it or not is to be worshiping another idol, another God, to have something of prominence in your life ahead of maybe a, a relationship with God. You know, there's a, a tension in our world. And when I say tension, I, I think it's maybe a better understanding to say that there is a real tug of war that goes on, not only in our world today, but a tug of war that goes on within our hearts, even to this day. A tug of war that is between this idea of consumerism and this idea of complacency. Where, where on one hand, we're tugged into a direction by our world and things around us to consume. It's a drive for more, more this, more that, more of something. And it pulls us, and there's this tug of war in our own hearts and minds that often goes unseen, but it's there. And then, then there's a tug towards uh, this other side of uh, where, where we really find ourselves growing complacent with life, apathetic in our life, where we don't care about anything or anyone. And there is somewhere a, a, a tension that we can find where we're not really being pulled towards entitlement, nor are we being pulled towards apathy. And this happens in our relationship with God. There are things in our world that we think, well, I'm entitled to this because God, and I just want to consume this. And we treat God and our relationship with God as just another commodity that we consume and we add into our daily routine that makes us feel better. And then there's, on the other side, this apathy that grows in, this complacency that grows in that says, I can't really grow in a relationship with God. There's not really anything more that I really need from God. I'm fine. It's good. Just as long as I don't go to hell, I'm okay. And we live with this tug of war. And if we're not careful, we will tug ourselves in one direction or the other, and we end up in a ditch that keeps us from growing in our life. And there's a tug, there's a tug, there's a tug. And we can find ourselves easily caring for the wrong things 
and coveting the wrong things because we have simply misplaced. We've placed in the wrong spot our affection and our attention. We've put our affection and our attention on something that we ought not be putting it on. And the Lord gives us this command in Deuteronomy. He says, here's some parameters. Be careful because you're going to spend a lot of time in the camp with all these other people. And you're going you're gonna to notice somebody else's family situation. Oh, if my family was more like. And, and, and the tug of war begins. Oh, if I had their opportunities, if I had their land, if I could grow crops like they grow crops, if I had a job like they had a job, if I... And we live with this tug to find out that the grass is greener on the other side. But the reality is the grass is always greener where you water it and over the septic tank. That's it. And we live with this tug of war in our mind where we are constantly being reverted and diverted. And and we find ourselves wrestling inside, tugging along to place our affection in often the wrong things that don't satisfy us and our attention in places that just derail our purpose in life. And the tug is within all of us. Let's look at how James chapter four, James is the brother of Jesus and he's writing to some Christians in the New Testament and and he's writing some really, really challenging things, but he's wanting them to understand this tug of war within them that results into things in how they live their life, even externally, among each other. Because this command in Deuteronomy 5 was, wasn't just about their own life. It was about the life living in a way that impacts and is good for other people too. If we're going to be hospitable people, it's not just about my life. It's about how my life impacts somebody else's life. And for those of you in the room who would call yourself a follower of Jesus, that means that we're, we're trying to walk in the way of Jesus in a way that lets people see the love of God, not just the love that we have for ourselves. In James chapter 4, he starts to write this out, and he starts in verse 1. Let's look at it together. James 4, starting at verse 1, it says this. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I know. This is like first century stuff. There are no quarrels and no fights among us in our day and age. What causes these things, he says? Is it not that your passions, your, your desires, those things that you take pleasure in, those things that you're pursuing, the, the things that you covet, is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire, but you don't have. So you murder. You murder. You kill it. You go and you take it. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. It's getting at the root of our selfishness. You do not have also because you don't ever ask. And when you do ask, You don't receive. In other words, he's talking about prayer now. You don't ask the Lord. And when you do ask the Lord for something, because you finally decided to trust the Lord in these things, you ask and you don't have and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Oh, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
If you have a paper Bible, underline that phrase. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is really strong language. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that scripture says that God yearns jealously? You could say that God covets over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He yearns with a deep passion. Verse six, but he gives more grace. Somebody say more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now we looked at another verse of that same phrase last week. So he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts and your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is such an interesting passage. It's not an easy one to read. It's not an easy one to look at honestly and be like, Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. No, no, no. All my prayers get answered because I always pray with the right motive. And I've never wanted to, like, get angry at anybody. And I, all of my desires are for the Lord. And I have no desire for earthly things, no desire for, for things and systems. And no, 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 no. I think when we look at it deeply, it hits us square in the face. And we have to take a step back and say, oh, my, just as much as we would say Amen. And we look at verses like this and we're, we see that he's trying to help us understand how do we develop a relationship, a friendship with God? How do we live in a way that the desires of our heart aren't at war, but rather are moving in the right direction? How, how do we do those things? And, and I want to talk a little bit about that today, but I thought it was interesting that he used this word enmity with God. Now, Again, coveting and enmity are not words that you hear every day in your vernacular or in your workplace, I would venture to say. I don't know many teenagers that are going around in the hallways of schools talking about coveting and enmity. It's just not words that we hear today. But it means simply this, the state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to something or someone. And he's writing and he's saying, when you walk in the way of the world and all of these passions are raging in the wrong direction, when your affection and your attention are at tug of war within you and they're tugging you in the wrong direction, you actually are finding yourself in a place where you're now opposing the very things that God is wanting to do in your life and in your heart. And it's because of something in your heart that is tugging and moving you in the wrong direction. And he gives us some good news. He does tell us that there is a way, though, to take those desires and to resist the devil, to, to resist the way of the world, to resist the way and the systems and the mentality and the thought process and solving problems the way everybody else solves problems, the dealing with conflict the way everybody else deals with conflict. There is a different way that you can walk in that when you resist the enemy and his ways, he actually flees from your life and moves away, and you find yourself moving in a different direction. Friends, can I just pause for just a second and double-click on a thought for us? And that's simply this, that the devil doesn't need you to direct your worship at him. 
the enemy of your soul isn't getting you to bow down to him. He's not trying to really get you into satanic worship. All he's really trying to do is to divert your attention away from God, to distract you, to get you to care about the wrong things. Because when you care about the wrong things, you then begin to live with animosity towards one another. Because if they have it and you don't have it, game on. If they're arguing and you're arguing and they're winning the argument and their people are getting elected, then, oh, let's go now. And we start living and acting just like the world rather than walking in the way of Jesus. I think it's interesting as, it, as we think about this idea of being distracted from full allegiance to Jesus, which is really all the enemy wants to do, to get you to have an allegiance other than an allegiance to Jesus, a commitment to many things that are good, that aren't sinful, that aren't bad, but they became a top priority that gain your affection and your attention. I, I saw a quote this week that kind of stopped me in my tracks. It said this, what is a rhythm for you becomes a reflex for your kids. In other words, what becomes just kind of routine in your life becomes second nature in their life. So when what is a routine for you is to hold a grudge sometimes, but most of the time, it becomes natural reflex for your kids to never know how to forgive and all they know how to do. It's second nature for them to get ticked off and hold a grudge forever and ever and ever. But when they begin to see that there is a rhythm of forgiveness, when there's a rhythm of going to God first, when there's a, 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 a rhythm of not holding on to control, but rather surrendering to God, and they see you living in the ways of Jesus, what becomes a, ref a, a rhythm for you becomes natural reflexes for them in their lives. It works in either direction. The question is then, this war in us is real. It's tugging at us in a lot of different ways. How do we win? this war. Well, I want to talk for the next few minutes, give you some three thoughts on how we win the war within us. And how we win the war within us is simply by walking away from that war and instead walking in the way of Jesus. In other words, how do we deal with the tug of war between coveting and consumerism and complacency and apathy? You know how you do it? You drop the rope. You stop playing that tug of war. You walk away from that tug of war and you walk in a different way. What's that way? It's the way of Jesus. So, so let's talk a little bit about the way of Jesus today. Number one, here's the first thought you can jot down. The way of Jesus is to be generous, not greedy. At the heart of this idea of coveting is this attitude of greed. And the best antidote that the scripture brings to us for a greedy heart is a generous life. It's a generous life. Think of it, it, go back to the passage there in your mind to, in James 4 where, he, where he's saying, listen, you're, you're, you're at war, you're asking, but you're asking with the wrong motives. In other words, your heart is greedy and selfish. That's why you're not seeing much impact in the prayers that you're praying. Why? Because greed has become your MO rather than walking in the way of generosity. And, and as a result, you find yourself in a precarious spot. And you find the tug of war not something that you're winning, but rather losing. First John chapter 2 says something really interesting. It says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, 
the desires, excuse me, of your eyes. In other words, that word desire here in the original language is Greek. In the Deuteronomy chapter 5, the word covet was in Hebrew. The equivalent of those two is found right here. In other words, if, if you're going to say it in Hebrew, you're going to say that, that word that comes from the original language for coveting. So in other words, to covet of the flesh, to covet of the eyes, and to walk in pride in your life. That's what John's addressing. And he says, it's not from the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's this reality in our world, this materialism, this consumer mentality, it kind of creeps into all of us. It's true. This, this idea of greed and wanting more of what we have, or maybe even more of what someone else has. I've heard, uh, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Christmas is just too commercialized. And it's an interesting dynamic because I would agree, but for many of us, Christmas is still something that we long for, deeply desire, and we still have something that goes on in our hearts when we talk about it. Is it an opportunity for, like, gross greed? Well, absolutely, sure is. I think I read a stat that last year was projected that somewhere in the, to the tune of, like, $72 billion was spent in America on Christmas. So that's a lot of money. It's true. I think we have to check the greed of our lust for more. And I've heard people that, that say Christmas should stay in December and it shouldn't get to November. And those of you that have your Christmas trees up, how dare you skip Thanksgiving? And can, can I offer a different thought for a minute on that? Just for a minute. Can I tell you what I think is kind of happening in our world? I think it's simply unredeemed hope at work in people's hearts. There's something that they are looking forward to. There's something that they're longing for. There's, there's this desire and anticipation for something that is yet to come. Friends, that's hope just in the wrong thing. So much of our world is hoping and longing for something to cheer them up, something to make this year better than what it has been. They're just longing and hoping. And all it is is their faith muscle moving in maybe an unredeemed way. So before we shut it down, maybe we just help people who are close to us understand that what's really happening is faith coming alive. It's just coming alive, perhaps, for something that's missing the mark of what is true and what truly is longing for the longing in their heart. Now, I'm not an advocate for Christian version of greed, often heard around the world as what's known as the prosperity gospel where the only mark of God's blessing is financial gains. I think it's that perspective on Scripture is a bit of a gross manipulation of what Scripture means, but I do believe that the proper perspective is not to measure generosity that we have based on God's response to our generosity, but rather more on our posture of worship that is seen to Him through our generosity. That's the better understanding of many of the Scriptures that talk about those things. It's about a posture of a heart of worship to the Lord, to where the results of our generosity are immaterial because our worship is more about God than it is about getting something from God. Here at Faith Church, I love that we have a generous church. We're not just generous in the context of 
finances, but people are generous in, the, in understanding that what God has placed in their hands, it's for us to steward in a positive way. This year, kind of behind the scenes, we've kind of been, uh, we had a serve team that's kind of been in beta mode for us, kind of operating a little bit behind the scenes, a little bit under the radar for most of our church. Um, it's an outreach and care team. Now, many uh, people in the room, you've participated in this outreach and care team. Many of you in the room have no idea that we even have this opportunity as a serve team. But they've been going about every month doing some sort of practical service project that we recognize as an act of generosity with no strings attached in different areas. In fact, this past week they went out and they went to our, our local jail and they did some painting just to be a blessing to our community, no strings attached. Next month they're going to be doing something as it relates to free car basic maintenance uh, at a specific time and location for, for a group of people. And we'll be sharing more of that with you in the coming days where you can participate in some way or get the word out for those who would maybe be uh, receive that kind of a blessing. And we do it with zero strings attached because we're just trying to walk in the way of Jesus, which is to be generous instead of greedy. For the last couple of years as a church at Christmas time, which is arguably one of the highest attended Sundays every year for our church. We've done something unique where every uh, Christmas for that Christmas time, we bring our best to the Lord and we give financially, but we don't keep any of it as a church. 100% of everything that is given on that day goes out to some ministry or to make impact somewhere else. We just give away our offering every single Christmas service. We're going to do it again this year. Can't wait to share with you about how we're going to make an impact with our generosity on Christmas, on our Christmas service, which is going to be December 19th. It's going to be amazing. You should mark it down and be here and plan to be generous that day. Why? Because we walk in the way of Jesus, which is to be generous, not greedy, which helps us not covet the wrong things. Number two, what does the way of Jesus look like? The way of Jesus is to express gratitude, not grumble. Say it again so it sinks in. It gets, it gets in your mind and gets all the way into your thumbs that you use week in and week out on social media. The way of Jesus is to express gratitude, not grumble, gripe, or complain. To use our mouths to only gripe and complain or to predominantly gripe and complain is to walk in the way of the world. Psalms 100 verse 4 says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. What did James tell us? James told us that we could draw near to God and God would draw near to us. How do you draw near to God? You drop your pride and you start expressing praise and thanks to God. You stop griping about everything and you start using your words to bring gratitude and thanks and express it to God. Now, I, I think it's really important that you understand this, this nuance about gratitude. Gratitude must be specific and expressed out of your mouth for it to really count. Thus saith Matthew. I could tell you that there's some scriptures, but I'm just... Here to say that all throughout scripture, when people are being grateful, it's coming out of their mouth with words. You're like, well, that's not my personality, pastor. If I were to stand up and have everybody stand and let's lift our hands and begin to express thanks to God for something in your life, the many things in your life, and you would begin to express gratitude, and I would say, say it out loud. You'd be, many of you would be like, no, 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 that's not my personality. 
as if God didn't know the types of personalities that would exist in the world when this psalm was written. What you call personality, God is calling pride. And we looked last week what happens with your pride. You get stiff-armed, in a sense, from God, and you don't get to draw near to God. He, he says, but when, if you want to draw near, it takes some humility. It'll open your mouth. You're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not much of, a, of an expressive person. That's not true. I've listened to what you've ranted about on Facebook. You know how to complain real good. You know how to gripe and be nick. I've seen it. My question is, why are you doing it in the way of the world instead of walking in the way of Jesus? A holy hush settles into the room. <laughs> you already know how to do it. You're just doing it in the wrong direction. And if you want the grace of God and the presence of God in your life and you want to see it come about, it's going to require that you open your mouth and express thanks to God and move in the way of Jesus, which is to give gratitude instead of to grumble all the time. When you grumble, you reveal your entitlement. When all we do is complain and gripe, you know, what, you know what's happening? We're exposing our heart as entitled. That there are things that we covet and long for that are moving us away from the direction that the Lord wants us to move in. Friends, I want you to walk in a way that allows God to be seen. If we're going to love other people, if we're going to be hospitable, if we're really going to get back to just love our neighbor as we love ourselves, it's going to start with our mouths being grateful instead of griping all the time. The Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. What do we sacrifice most often? Our pride and our comfort. I, I bet you if you took some time this week, you could write out a list of 100 specific things that you're grateful for this year. If you really wanted to be grateful, you, you, you could come up with some stuff. And when we come into the presence of the Lord and we find ourselves in moments of worship, like we had this morning, and the songs kind of settle in and there's a little bit of a crack in between the songs, a space in between the songs, that's the perfect time for somebody to begin to say, God, thank you for what you've given me. God, I bless your name today. I worship, and you with your own mouth give those praises. You know what happens when you open your mouth and praise God? you draw near to him. And what happens when you draw near to him? He draws near to you. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances. It doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. He says be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for your life. God, what's your will for my life? Be grateful. Express thanks. You want to walk in the will of God? Learn to be a grateful person. Express your thanks to God. Be thankful in all things, in every situation. And it's interesting uh, that the Apostle Paul would write this because uh, the Apostle Paul had a lot of situations for which he didn't probably want to be thankful for. Which leads me to the third of our thoughts today. The way of Jesus is to be content, not covet. To be content, not covet. The Apostle Paul teaches us this in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. It's not going to be on the screen. Let me, let me read it to you, though. 
Some of these verses are going to sound really, really familiar, but I think it's important that we put it in the right context. He says, oh, how I praise the Lord. What is that gratitude expressed in, through his mouth? Oh, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't always have the chance to help me. Not that I was never in need, for I have learned how to be content. Somebody say content. Oh, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or live with everything. I've learned. Which tells me something. Contentment and gratitude and generosity are learned behaviors. They're not automatic in your life. They're learned. They're not automatic. He says, oh, I've learned how to be content in every situation. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, the Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled to Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want to give from you, but rather I want you to receive a reward for your kindness, for your generosity, for your partnership, he's saying. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that have been sent to me from Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that God wants to supply you with what you need. What do you need? You need strength to be thankful and content in every situation. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying what you actually need are not more riches. You need the glorious inheritance that is the presence of God at work in you to supply strength. Because when you are weak, he wants to be strong. He wants to give you more grace to strengthen you so that you can be satisfied and content instead of living with this greedy sense of more and coveting for the wrong things and grabbing hold of something that isn't for you to grab a hold of, but rather to sit in a place to say, God, I just want to be grateful and thankful in this moment and in every moment to follow in my life. I think the status of our life doesn't matter when we recognize that God is our source and our supply. So whether you have or you don't have, whether it's a good season or a bad season, it doesn't change. God is still the source and the supply of what you need. What is it that you need? Hear, hear me. It's easy to think what we need is something material, that, that materializes in our world. He's actually trying to give you the secret behind contentment. It's not fixing your eyes on the things of the world, but recognizing that what you really need is the strength of the Spirit with more grace at work in your life to sustain you and be content in wherever you find yourself in life. 
How do you win the war within you? You walk in the way of Jesus. How do you walk in the way of Jesus? You live with generosity instead of greed. You express gratitude instead of grumbling. And you walk in the way of Jesus by being content instead of coveting. And it's not easy. You know, it's interesting that when it comes to our life, natural strength comes from diet, exercise, learning from other people, gaining knowledge about how your body and muscle works, right? Like all of those things. That's how we would gain natural strength. Exercising and using the right things and the right things that we eat and all that's, that's natural strength. But the Apostle Paul is talking about having a spiritual strength. And this spiritual strength comes from reading God's word. This spiritual strength comes from worshiping God on your own. Whether the band is playing or not, you can still worship God. How? You enter his gates with thanksgiving and you enter his courts with praise. Oh, let's just bless his name. You get into the word, you get into worship and you spend time praying and talking with the Lord, allowing him, allowing him to extend more grace because in prayer you begin to humble yourself instead of walk in pride. In prayer, you begin to ask for what you need according to the will of God rather than your own selfish motives. And you just say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And the results, well, those are up to God. The, what, 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 does my situation change? I don't know, I, I hope. But often I have found that God changes our situation when our character has sufficiently changed. Often our when, when our character and our heart for the Lord, when, when our motives begin to be purified, that's when we begin to see God move in the external. Because God's really after your heart. He's after your heart. He's after your affection and your attention. So that you covet him or then you covet the things of the world. Why? Because when you covet the things of the world, you become and live from a place of enmity with God. It's a tug of war. Friend of God, enemy of God. Friend of God, enemy of God. And we can win the tug of war when we walk in the way of Jesus. This week, I want to give you something real practical to do. I want to challenge you to learn how to draw near to God. Because what you need is God to draw near to you. So you can resist the devil and he can flee. So you can resist the way of the world and walk in the way of Jesus. Psalms 37 verses one through nine is a passage of scripture. I wanna challenge you if you're part of our church, this is your place to read that passage every day this week. And I love it. There's a, there's a special part in there where it says, when you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires in your heart. When you delight in God, I think you'll find that the desires in your heart are given by God. And when it looks more like contentment instead of greed, then you know it's from God. When it looks more like contentment instead of coveting, then you know your desires in your heart are aligned with what it looks like to actually delight in the Lord. Okay, can I tell you something? When you draw near to God, not only does God draw near to you, but he delights in being with you too. 
oh no, not me, pastor. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I, I've messed up too many times. I'm, I'm not spiritual enough. No, 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 you too. He wants the delight in you. What does that look like? It looks like a smile. It looks like attention and affection pointed in the direction of God and his attention and affection pointed in the direction of you. That's delight in the Lord. But take some time, read through Psalm 37, verse one through nine. Pray, meditate on it. Let God delight in you and learn to delight in the Lord. Why? Because there's a tug of war in you and you need strength. And that strength comes from the Spirit of God at work in you. And when His Spirit shows up, when He starts to work, He'll supply what you need and give you strength to move on. Would you stand as we come to the table of the Lord today? Each week we come to the table of the Lord, to communion. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you, your faith, your, your heart's moving in His direction, we invite you to participate. Whether it's your first time here or you just tuned online, whatever. But if you know, man, my heart is for the Lord, then we invite you to come to the table. This is what we do. And if you would, go ahead and open it up. It takes about of a, a PhD to really get it open, but you just kind of open the top layer, you get the bread. The bottom layer, you can go ahead and open it up. You'll get the juice. And just hold both of these in your hand for a second. And we'll all partake together in just a minute. I invite you to close your eyes just for a second and quietly begin to reflect back on these words from today's message. You know, communion is our opportunity to just pause before the Lord, before the Spirit, and ask the Lord where we're weak, that He needs to supply strength. Where, where are we greedy instead of generous? Where are we grumbling instead of being grateful? Where are we coveting instead of being content? We just pause before the Lord. We begin to relinquish and repent of the duplicity of the desires in our minds. And it gives us an opportunity to fix our eyes on Jesus and return to a singularity of pursuit this week. And that is the way of Jesus. The pursuit is the way of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in this moment? Show us where we're walking in the wrong way, where our priorities are off, where the passions and the desires in our hearts are misaligned, or, Lord, where we're living with a duplicitous heart and passion, where we want what you have for us, but we also want other things, too. Lord, would you help us to repent today, to relinquish that way of thinking, and to pursue you instead, Jesus? We fix our eyes on you. This is our commitment today, to walk in your way. In Jesus' name. Let's take the bread now. Lord, we thank you that that bread is your body. It was broken for us so that we as the body of Christ can bring healing to a broken world by walking in the way of Jesus and demonstrating the true love, the agape of God. And now the cup. Just hold on to those cups. You can get rid of them here in a moment as you exit the sanctuary. But Lord, 
We thank you for that cup, that, that cup of blessing, that cup of forgiveness, that cup that forgives us and purifies us so that we can draw near to you, oh Lord, and find grace and help in this moment. God, I pray that your heart towards us is to give us more grace. Lord, I confess that I need more grace in my life. I need your strength to supply what's lacking so that I can live with a generous heart. I can live with a grateful mouth and I can live content no matter the context I find myself in. I pray today, Lord, that your face would shine on your people today. You would give us your peace. You lift up your countenance towards us so that we can see you smiling down with delight in us as we delight in you and draw close to you this week. We pray these things today in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit of God, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.